Well, with so much going on in the world right now, it's easy and understandable why some of us might want to just say, enough. I can't do any more. I've actually seen a lot of gurus on social media even telling us all that it's okay to press pause if we need to, to just tune out for a little while, that it's good self-care, they say, if we need to take a break from all the pain and the grief that we're seeing broadcast all over the news lately. The heartbreak of the world just seems a little bit too much to carry, they say. It's okay sometimes to just look away. Now, this is not a critique of self-care in any way, which is meaningful and important, of course. But I would argue that looking is exactly what is demanded at such a time as this. If we don't do something, who will? Good Christians and folks from all walks of life are known to say often, well, God will provide. I can't do anything. I mean, I posted about the earthquake and the hurricanes on social media. I expressed my outrage at the Taliban. I retweeted some thoughts and prayers. But God's going to have to take it from here, we think. I have faith. But what our scripture reading reminds us today is that we might just need to get in somebody's face, start rattling some cages, and get some work done. It's as if today's scripture reading is giving us permission to let God know we mean business. You see, Jesus was on his way to the region of Tyre. We're told he didn't want anybody to know that he was there. He was tired. There was a lot going on for him. Everywhere he turned, there was sickness and evil doing and veiled threats and not so veiled threats against him. And always there were people wanting more, more of him. So he entered this house entire, and I think he was just looking for some peace and quiet. He needed to take a break from the world's pain a little bit for just a minute, maybe meditate, take a hot bath, play some solitaire. But sure enough, word gets out, and before you know it, Jesus is approached by a woman who isn't even one of his kind. Yes, it's a hard word to pronounce, a Syrophoenician. Scripture says that she was a Greek woman who was born in Syria from the region of Phoenicia. And so Jesus has just ventured into Gentile territory. And here comes this woman. He hasn't been there but just a couple of minutes. And the woman bows down at his feet and asks him to heal her daughter who's been possessed by an evil spirit. Now, this seems like a reasonable request, and we know that Jesus has had plenty of healings up to this point. He's already healed people from evil spirits, which is what makes his reply so odd. He says, it's not right to give the children's food to the dogs. Ouch. I don't know how she did it, but this woman, this Gentile woman, just sort of stood up a little bit straighter, looked Jesus right in the eye, and she said, yes, that's right, Jesus. But let me tell you something. Even the dogs have to eat now and then. Even the dogs will eat the scraps from the table. 
Now, Scripture leaves this part out, but I'm pretty sure Jesus was impressed with her comeback. I can actually see him with a little smile on his face, kind of smiling as he says to her, okay, okay, I get you. Go. Your daughter has been healed. Can you imagine if we all came to Jesus that way? With an attitude that says, I am worthy to be here. And I'm not leaving because I know you bring the good news I need. I love the strength of this woman as she speaks to Jesus. She means business, I think. Now, right after this, immediately after he heals the daughter, our scripture tells us that Jesus leaves that region and he goes up to Sidon and then back down to the Sea of Galilee in a route that actually makes absolutely no sense if you look at it on a map, which can only mean one thing. Something was drawing Jesus there. There was a reason he needed to be there. So before you know it, of course, a group of people approach Jesus, a group of friends, and they bring a man to Jesus who was deaf and mute, and they beg Jesus to heal him, to lay hands on him and heal him. So Jesus, who is apparently still not wanting to make a fuss about things, not wanting to draw attention to himself, pulls the man aside by himself, and he does just as the friends ask. And then I love this. Right after it says that his tongue was loosened and the man could speak for probably the first time in his life, Jesus tells the man not to say a word. <laughs> the irony, right? Don't say anything. Don't speak. People aren't ready. They, don't, they won't understand yet, he says to them. But they don't listen. The man and his friends, the ones who interceded on his behalf, go out and tell everyone, first thing, the things that Jesus has done, what he has made possible. See, in the Bible, you should get used to this. Whenever Jesus says, don't tell anyone about this, that's a signal that people are about to go tell everyone. Because how can they help it? Their whole world has just changed. They want to tell people how God has changed their world for the better. So what I want us to hear this morning in this passage, in both of these healings, we see people suffering in some way that isolates them from society. It's pushed them to the margins, makes them feel less than. And in both instances, someone intercedes on their behalf. One bows, the others beg. And what's important to note is that no one just left it up to God to show up. Now, we know God does show up, unannounced and uninvited sometimes. God just shows up. That is a fact. It's God's prerogative to do that when we least expect it and turn things around. But in both of the instances in the Gospel of Mark this morning, we have people intervening, mediating, pleading to God on behalf of someone else. So God will show up, and sometimes first we need to speak. The letter of James, which we also heard this morning, says, what good is it if you say you have faith but you don't have works? Can faith save you? If someone is naked and lacks daily food, and one says to them, go in peace, keep warm, eat your fill, 
but you don't lift a finger to help them, what is the good of that, James asks. Faith by itself, if it has no works, is dead. This is what James wrote. And so basically we're graced with two pretty challenging scripture readings this morning. One says, faith is meaningless if you don't do something about it. And the other has Jesus metaphorically calling a woman a dog. I'm telling you, the Bible is full of traps. Look out! When you least expect it, you're going to read something that just blows your mind and you can't figure it out. One of the traps this morning, I think, for us to pay attention to is that being a Christ follower means sometimes we have to step up on behalf of people who need us. It's not enough to just say, God will provide. We are called as Christians to do more than that. Nobody ever said it would easy, but according to James, ignore the pain of the world at your own peril. Because here's the thing, we reveal what we believe by what we do. The things we've done and the things we've left undone. Unless we are willing to put our faith into action according to the teachings of Jesus, our faith is stagnant. It's dead. It's not helping anyone, including ourselves. So we can start by telling the truth. The woman from Tyre, the Syrophoenician woman, this mother with a child so disturbed that the whole family was likely embarrassed to even go in public. They didn't want to talk about it, didn't want people to know how excruciating it was to have a child out of control. That woman dared to speak up and tell the truth. And when the truth gets told, whole worlds changed. Her whole world changed. Go, your daughter is healed immediately. So I want to tell you a couple of stories this morning about things that I see in our community that I hope will move you and shed some light in some way on what we can do right here where we are. The first is that several years ago, there was a small group of woman, women here in our chapel community who could really relate to that woman from Tyre, to that Syrophoenician woman with a daughter who needed help. This group of women had children who were struggling, some with drug addiction, some with behavior issues, mental health challenges. These issues were so challenging that these mothers and parents had to make the decision to send their child away to a residential treatment program instead of keeping them here in our local high schools. And believe me, nobody knows better than a parent that when your child is out of control, you feel like an outcast. But let me tell you what happened. These three women came together. They dared to speak truth to each other. They found solidarity and support and it pushed them to action. They looked at each other and said, you know what, we're not the only ones suffering. We're not the only ones going through this. They said, let's invite some other people that we know who are also struggling. So they invited a few more, and then a few more, and a few more. There's a lot going on in this valley. And before you knew it, these women now have three support groups for mothers of children in treatment programs of some sort. And I am so proud of them. These women came together and said, we're gonna tell the truth and we're gonna make a difference. 
and they support and they offer resources and they offer love and it's all run by one of our beloved people here at the chapel. As much as I love that story, I hate why they had to come together. There is work to be done in this valley that parents had to take their children somewhere else to go to school because of the influences here. Aspen has easy access to drugs and alcohol, and our teenagers are not immune to that. Many of our kids develop addictions early on. They experience and experiment at a young age. Some of them have mental health issues that then are exacerbated by that experimentation. 72 people have died of accidental drug overdose in our valley in the past three years from Aspen to Glenwood Springs, not just children, adults as well. And that is a staggering number. I've spoken to so many clergy in our valley and it is exhausting the number of funerals that we've had to preside over for young people who are dying by overdose and suicide. Just a few days ago, in fact, there was an honor walk in El Jebel put on by families of um, young people who have died from overdose so that they could draw attention to the problem and offer support, peer support, resources, and love. And again, these are parents, moms, just wrapping their arms around the community instead of sweeping things under the rug, telling the truth and changing worlds. That's faith with works. We need to rattle some cages sometimes. We need to tell the truth and let God know we mean business. There is much in the world that needs our attention, and we can't just sweep it under the rugs. I want to give you another example. Um, Snowmass Chapel is also part of an organization called the Mountain Voices Project. Mountain Voices Project, or MVP, helps make policy changes, especially for people in need. And we're actually a founding member of the organization, along with 25 others, schools, nonprofits, institutions, churches throughout the valley. And there's a, a group in Denver that does similar work, our sort of sister group. Um, and, and I want to tell you about them because they put their faith in action in a way that made headlines during the pandemic. When the pandemic hit in March of 2020, members of that group in Denver realized that grocery store workers were not part of our governor's emergency order, which allowed essential workers to be paid and to also receive money for childcare if they had to quarantine and couldn't go to work. So essential workers were entitled to this emergency order money, but grocery store workers were not considered essential, so they weren't in that. And members from this group said, hey, look, here we are hailing the grocery store workers as heroes for staying up all night and stocking our shelves just so we can have what we need. They're pretty essential. And so never having had one conversation at the state house or with the governor, they picked up the phone and called. And the governor called back. And the very next day, members of this group met with our governor here in Colorado and said to him, you know, this is what we're thinking. A healthy and strong food service workforce is critical to our getting through this pandemic together. And the governor agreed. And by the end of that meeting, he had changed the emergency work order to include all grocery store workers. And I tell you this because this is not insignificant. It affected the lives of 20,000 grocery store workers in Colorado. 
all because this is the kind of work we do when we put our faith into action. And by the way, information about everything that I've just mentioned is available either on our website or by calling our office, talking to me afterwards. I can share all the details of what these groups are doing and continue to do and put you in touch with them if you want to be. But I tell you these stories because I am so proud of the way that people show up for each other and for our community. In Jewish literature, there's a saying, if I am not for myself, who will be for me? But if I am only for myself, what am I? Now, it's been borrowed and shortened a little bit over the years, most famously by President Reagan, who once said, if not me, who? If not now, when? I know we are tempted to close our eyes. It's a lot out there. And it can be hard to look at day in and day out. We have been inundated, maybe for the last year and a half, but certainly for the last month. But what happens when we refuse to open our eyes is that we miss opportunities to proclaim the good news, the hope that exists in our faith in Christ. There is work to be done. So what is ours to do? If not me, who? So before I close this morning, I do want to leave us with just a few questions because there's something that really caught my eye this morning, in this morning's reading. As I was going over this reading this week, I just couldn't shake it. There was one very small phrase that I just kept coming back to again and again. It was like something in me knew, this is important. Don't just read past this. So it's this line from Mark chapter 7, verse 25. Here's what it says. A woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit, immediately heard about Jesus, and she came and bowed down at his feet. Let me just stop there. The very first thing that this mother does after hearing that Jesus came to the city of Tyre is this. She bows down at his feet. What a beautiful act of humility. Before anything else, she bows down, places herself beneath him in surrender, and then boldly asks for a miracle. She said, you know, I know I'm beneath you. I know I'm a Gentile. I know I'm like a dog compared to God's chosen Israelites. But even the dogs have to eat. I'll take your scraps. I'll take whatever you have to offer. What struck me when I read this is, do I come to Jesus first before anything else? Before I march for justice? Before I speak my mind? Before I have a hard conversation? Before I condemn someone else's beliefs or politics? Or do I act on my own, independent, all-knowing, so certain of my own voice that I shut God's out. Here are the questions that I want to ask us this morning with that in mind. First of all, what truth needs to be spoken that only you can speak? 
Maybe it's something that you see in your community or in your own family that needs to be addressed. Maybe it's something you've kept hidden about yourself that you want to bring forth. What truth do you need to speak in order to bring about a change in your life or in the lives of others? Next, how can you put your faith into action to bring about real change? How can you be an intercessor, boldly acting as a disciple of Christ? What might you be being called to do that would be an expression of God's love in action? And finally, are you willing to bow down first? submitting it to Jesus as you act so that you bring the very presence of the divine with you as you go out into the world. So with that, I just invite us to a few moments to sit quietly with God in prayer.